Thanks and welcome to another episode of The Movies That Move Us. I'm your host, Al Larson, and today I'm joined by Russell Moser. Say hi. Hey, what's up, guys? Thanks for having me. You've decided to come on and talk with us about The Two Towers, Lord of the Rings movie, especially the extended edition. Yeah, that's right. Anyone who's still watching the theatrical, you know, they're not watching the right movie. That's all I'm saying. What do you say about Peter Jackson saying that the theatrical version is his version that he recommends for people? I just feel like he's not as much of a Tolkien fan as I am, so he's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> like, sure, he made the he like he directed the films, you know what I mean? But like for me, the scenes that they kept in versus took out in the theatrical versus extended. It's honestly like the most character building and context building scenes. Whenever my mom wants to watch or like whenever we tell my mom like, oh, we're watching Lord of the Rings. Right. And she was like, oh, wait, that's so long, though. And they're like, oh, yeah, what's the extended edition? And she's like, well, OK, I just don't want to watch all that extra fighting. But it's like when you actually look at the scenes that are kept in for the theatrical, it's like all the combat scenes. Right. Uh-huh. And then like. It's the character building scenes, the dialogue, like everything else that was taken out for the theatrical that like really makes you kind of feel the themes and the messages in the movie for the extended edition. So that's that's, that's kind of where I'm going from that. Yeah, I've had some some people describe this version as the extra walking version, but yeah. I don't feel like it's necessarily so much walking as it is just talking. So it's yeah. like they, they do a lot of walking and talking, like sure. especially I mean, especially with, uh, Sam and Mary Frodo. Pippin. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Those, Sam those Frodo, people. Mary Pippin, they're all walking a lot. But uh Hobbits Hobbits be walking. Hobbits be walking. Sometimes they'd be riding on trees. But do Christophers be walking? Christophers sometimes be walking. Yeah. Uh, I was okay. like I was like, oh <laughs> wait, that's like I got that halfway through me saying that. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, Christopher Walken. Yeah. Uh, so tell me, why did you select this movie? So Lord of the Rings in general is my favorite story. It's my favorite um, movie. And I actually came to it from the movie rather than like, I didn't start by reading the book. I went back and I read the books, right? And I've read them a couple times since. But it was really this thing where I think it was maybe the first PG-13 movie I ever was like allowed to see in theaters. I think I was, what, like 10 or 11 when it came out. Yeah, this was uh, 2002. So yeah, I think this I think they were coming out near Christmas time. So, yeah, you know. Yeah. However. So I was I was I was below the age, but my parents were like, no, we need to go see this one. And so I was just completely blown away by fellowship and I was in love with that ever since. But of the three movies, like this is the one that I feel like I most personally connect to. Um, it's got Helm's deep, which is in my opinion, like the greatest movie battle of all time. And probably the, just the coolest thing ever. Um, and I feel like it more closely focuses on 
the character arcs of like my favorite character, Aragorn, for one. So also the music in this in this movie. After the extended editions were released, they were they released um extended edition like versions of the soundtrack. They were called the complete recordings. And Two Towers was the first one I got. I eventually got the other two as well. And there's great music in the first movie, especially like the Shire music is so great and just peaceful and happy. But as far as like theming and and pushing forward the emotions of the of the film, I feel like this one has the best soundtrack, which I connect to um, all the time. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of reasons why Lord of the Rings is my favorite. And then there's minor arguments why this one is my favorite of the three Lord of the Rings movies. Yeah, I mean, you know? let's go with that very first. I mean, this is considered kind of the commercial, like, I don't know about commercially, the critically the least successful of, yeah, of, of, the, of the three. Yeah. You know, if we're talking about awards, we're talking about the Oscars, like this one was nominated for like, I think six awards and it only won for sound editing and visual effects. And, yeah. you know, it just like flat out didn't get nominated for certain things that you'd think it would have been for like costume design right. or cinematography or uh, adapted screenplay that it just, no, just completely shut out. And, uh, so this one, it, it received the least amount of Oscars. It has uh, like both nominations and awards. The other two received a lot more. I think a lot of people would consider, based off of what I was reading, it sounded like Fellowship is kind of considered the the one that most people like. Is that yeah, yeah? Um, I think that's pretty a pretty popular stance. Like, I think that this movie, as far as like critically suffers from like second movie syndrome where it's like, okay, your story's not complete. Right. But it's also not new. Like we've seen the first movie. So the things that you did that were amazing and revolutionary in that movie that you're doing again in this movie are less impressive. And then we have like the third movie of, can we pull it all together and can we actually pull this off? And when they do that, Return of the King gets a million awards. But Return of the King is not going to be nearly as successful without the two towers being right before it either. Mm -hmm. So, and I feel like if you look at a lot of trilogies, I guess you look back at Star Wars or something and Empire Strikes Back is the highest critically acclaimed one, right? Yeah. And that's, and that's the middle. So like that, that, kind of disproves what I'm saying here, but I don't know that if you just watched empire strikes back without having the context of the two movies before and after it, if that would be as good, you know? And so like, we, we run into this thing with trilogies and like extended storylines where they're very dependent on each other. For me personally, I think there are things that are great about the fellowship. Right. You have the the pure like joy and peace of the Shire that you experience. And then you also have the the temptation of Boromir throughout the movie, which is done better in the extended than the theatrical. Like it's it's you don't have any sympathy for Boromir in the theatrical edition. Right. Um 
but he's actually a very sympathetic character because he's just an every man. Like he's, he's representative of us generally. Yeah. But you also have like the Balrog, you know, like, so you got the Shire and you got the Balrog and those are like the coolest things about that movie and Aragorn, you know, walking solo against like a hundred Urukai after Frodo runs away, you know, like the Boromir death scene always, always makes me cry. There's, there's beautiful, wonderful things about fellowship. Um, but for me, I think that fellowship is way more kind of in the clouds, high fantasy. This is, you know, we're going to go to Galadriel in Lothlorien. We're going to see the future. There's this devil down in the, in the depths of these mountains. It's very cool. It's very fantastical. It's not very personal. Like we're supposed to relate and see the world through the hobbit's eyes. And I think we do that really well in the books through Mm -hmm. fellowship. But in the movie, I feel like I'm watching Frodo. I don't feel like I'm watching from Frodo. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, it's definitely harder to put it from his, from his perspective. Like there's an element in there where like, you don't want to watch like just a, a point of view type movie of, of this. Like, especially because if it was just like a point of view from the hobbits, you would like totally miss out on cool fights like the Helm's Deep one and, and things right. like that anyways. Right. But I think that at the same time, it's like, so you're trying to like build it out and show the whole scope, but then it, it makes you, it- you miss some of that, like that visceral, honestly, like horror of the horror element of fellowship mm-hmm. with like the Nazgul. Like if we were able to really feel the dread that Frodo was feeling, I feel like that would be a lot more powerful. I remember thinking, oh, the Nazgul are scary, but not really feeling it when I saw it as a kid, you know, and obviously now like things are less scary to me, but especially now I've seen them multiple times. Yeah. And I do think that horror element also like, continues to fall off even more throughout the trilogy. Like fellowship does it the best. Yeah. But yeah, I think that there's still a little bit of horror left in, in their story. You know, when you get to the third film, uh, because you know, everybody's kind of spread out a little bit more. So yeah, you have Shelob and and it's just the two of them and they've got Shelob and Gollum. And, and you know Gollum's going to betray them. Exactly. And, yeah. And you, but you just don't know when. And you're just yep. like, oh, we're, we're like being led by this like total psychopath dude and what's going on here. So I think that there is still some horror, but yeah, as we kind of get used to the world and like seeing what what things that they can overcome, they like originally think, oh, or, orcs are scary, but then... They learn that they can, through the right through the their or- powers, you know, their their work together, they can really kind of take down a lot of a lot of things. Yeah, yeah, like orcs are scary until you're with Aragorn, and then suddenly they're not scary anymore. You know, right? Because you know he's this invincible warrior and he's going to protect you. So it's really that beginning portion of the of that film where like pre Rivendell they're helpless. Then after that, I don't think you really feel that way ever again. 
until they separate again, which we get in the two towers, they're alone, right? And mm -hmm. they're having to rely on Gollum throughout the whole movie to lead them, who they know is not a trustworthy guide. Mm -hmm. So, um, I think the, the Frodo and Sam parts of the movie are probably my least favorite parts of the movie and the parts that I relate to the least. They're the parts that I don't necessarily get the most excited about. And that's always been that way. I mean, the, the, obviously when I was a kid, the things that I was the most obsessed with were like the battles. Every, so, every day. Oh yeah. So like all I wanted to do was watch Helm's Deep or, you know, the battle against the war riders. That was what I really cared about. And so whenever we go to the Frodo, Sam, Gollum chapters, I'm always like, oh, okay. You know, is this a bathroom break time? Or um, do we just skip it? And I don't feel that way anymore, but I now still value the um, three hunters side of the story, Aragorn, Legolas, Gimli, mm -hmm. more, but for different reasons now. Because I'm more invested now in like Rohan, the plights of Eowyn, the and like Theoden's struggle against despair, um, specifically Aragorn's character arc from Boromir's death into the end of this movie, and the way that he goes from basically he's a lone ranger in the north to no, he's he's the king of men and that transformation, even though the third movie is return of the king, like that transformation happens for him throughout the two towers. As soon as Boromir dies, he takes off his bracers and he's wearing them throughout the rest of the, of the series. And from that point on, really he is starting to really dive into his role as He's a leader. He, he's the one who's telling Legos and Gimli, we're going to go hunt some work. You know, they start running. He's the one keeping them going. Uh, he negotiates with the riders of Rohan. Eventually, he's the one leading the defense of the Deeping Wall at Helm's Deep. And basically telling Legolas, like, no, we're going to stay and we're going to fight. Because it's what's right. We're not going to give in to despair here. And... So, like, the, I still value the sides of the movie that I did as a kid, but for different reasons now. Yeah. So, I mean, let, let's talk about it maybe a little bit further. Is, is this Aragorn transformation the thing that you have noticed most recently? Or what's something else that you have noticed in your most recent viewing that you have kind of tweaked and, like, has kind of evolved for yourself? Yeah, Mo probably most recently what I've noticed is, and this is why I think that this is the most personal of the three movies. Um, Rohan itself is a country of farmers. You know, like these are people that they're dirty, they're poor, like, you, they're very spread out. They're spread out. They're not organized. They don't have a standing military. They don't have a giant. They don't. They have a giant fortress. They don't live in it though. Like 
right. the Gondorians do in Minas Tirith. Like they're not, they're not wealthy. Like these are the actual people that in real life will be affected by war. You know, Tolkien was, he fought in world war one. Like that heavily influenced his writing here. We know that we know he also had like an environmentalist bent where he, he hated London because it was a dirty, filthy city. And all he wanted to do is get out to the countryside, which is of course like where he bases the Shire off of. And, um, so you get all of these themes in here where, and I can't remember if all of these scenes are in the theatrical edition or not, but in, in the extended edition, you get these scenes of the Urukai who are basically representative of, you know, machine and, um, specifically the machine of war. Saruman has, we, we see in the first movie how beautiful Isengard is. You know, it's got these beautiful gardens. It's surrounded by giant forest. And then by the time we see it again in this movie, it's got it's holes in it. Such industrial kind of yeah, revolution it, in their place. The and like the air is dirty. Everything yeah. is on fire. Um, the ground itself has been like dug out. And Bangorn Forest has been you know, heavily forested. So we see that. And then we also see that as these Urukai armies go through Rohan, they're not, they're not conquering. They're destroying. They're putting right. everything to the torch. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we get these scenes of that little Rohirrim family, the mom and the, the son and the daughter, the mom mm-hmm. puts them on the horse and sends them to the king, right? She mm-hmm. says, you know, the king has to protect us because they are really helpful. They're, they're really helpless. They're, they're, they're just farmers. And when it comes down to it, like, this is, it's the most personal because you get kind of these little snapshots into the, the Rohirrim, the people of Rohan, who are the most like, I think every normal person who's watching these films. Like we all have normal jobs. We are all kind of at the whims of the powerful when things, when bad things happen to us, a lot of the time, sure. Maybe, maybe, you know, we make personal mistakes, but like something like war, we're not in charge of whether we go to war or not. This is kind of that message that, that Tolkien had the anti-war sentiment of this destroys people. It destroys families and you get it at the end or like right before, right before Helm's deep battle starts. You have, uh, Aragorn talking to that kid, right? Mm -hmm. You got all these old men who are defending the walls. You got these young kids, pretty much everybody who can hold a sword is, is fighting here. They're not soldiers. The real soldiers are the riders of Rohan. And, you know, they're off. Yeah. Yeah. They've been banished because of the political machinations of Wormtongue. So it's like you have that element of like political corruption in there. 
how does one get a name like worm tongue like some mom just like pops out a kid and just like right? you know what yeah worm tongue i'm yeah. gonna say, like that's that's meaner that, than like it, naming it scar like yeah scar I mean, it's a good question like his first name is grima right and grima. i'm trying to think about most characters in, in tolkien don't have last names they'll be aragorn son, son of, of Arathorn, right gimli right. son of gloin so Wormtongue is not uh, it's not a a last name you know it's a title and so that just means like this dude is out here just worming right into everybody's ears all the time yeah dude probably gives a massive wet willy to Theoden all the time (laughs) yeah (laughs) he definitely wants to give one to Eowyn for sure yeah, I think what they do really weird to to like really mess with him is like he's already like pasty white and that's like rude enough as is. Yeah. But then like they like shave off his eyebrows. <laughs> like he has no eyebrows in the movie. Yeah. And, like, that just makes <laughs> yeah. him look even even more he's kind so of gross looking. Yeah. Just well, like you, you just like you look like a worm. You're so gross. Mm-hmm. Um, like. Like, who would you rather date, Wormtongue or Smeagol? You know what I mean? I'm going with Smeagol, to be honest. He's <laughs> devoted. Fit. He's devoted. He's fit. <laughs> <laughs> he can catch food. Yep. I don't, I don't, I don't think he likes that raw and wriggling, but like, I like some sushi every now and again. So You know what? Somebody somebody out there likes it raw and wriggling. Yep. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. So that's probably what I noticed the most on like my most recent watch was just like, oh no, this is something you don't get in either of, either of the other movies. You know, Fellowship is a quest. So you don't get everyday normal people and their experiences. Yeah, I um, think that people are a little bit too enraptured with with the hobbits. Like, you do see hobbits getting attacked by the, by the Black Riders. Yeah. Uh, especially more so in like the... Uh, in the extended. In the extended version. Yeah. But... I I don't think that you do see very much and like you're kind of enamored by them and like oh what's this new way of life that I've never heard of and yeah um, here's this countryside of people who are they just love fireworks and smoking yeah. you know weed yeah and, <laughs> yeah you know, and drinking and blah blah well and when when the Nazgul do attack the hobbits it has no consequences for the rest of the hobbits mm-hmm. you know like it's oh this one guy gets killed it's like. Okay, but we don't ever actually go see what that means. So, and I'm not saying they needed to have a scene like that because I think that it's a long enough movie as it is, and that's not where the story was going. Right. But um, I'm just saying, like, that's something Two Towers has that neither, like, Fellowship doesn't have that because of its quest format. And Return of the King, you get the Battle of Minas Tirith, but. You don't you don't see a lot of the regular people in that in that battle, you know, or in what's leading up to that battle. You see a lot of the Gondorian soldiers. Obviously, we see the Riders of Rohan making their charge, and, and like it's a very cool battle. But the stakes don't feel as high as they do in Helm's Deep, where mm-hmm. the real soldiers are gone. It's the middle of the night. It's 200 against 10,000. 
you know, mm-hmm. and you're, you're just praying. You're just praying. The night is so dark. It's raining. It's so cold. Even your king is giving up at the end until he decides, no, I'm going to ride out with Aragorn. Yeah. And when he does that, and it's only after he does that, that Gandalf and the, and the riders of Rohan show up. You know, it's after the triumph of, I will not give in to this despair. Yeah, after the trial fighting. of his faith. Yeah. Can he like really that's when that's when he gets delivered. Rather than I mean, like in Minas Tirith, there's so many awesome things that happen in that fight. Like, especially with the Rohirrim, in my opinion. But you know, it, it, you don't quite feel that same sense of despair and dread in that fight. You know Aragorn's gonna come up with the Army of the Dead. Like it's telegraphed an hour or two away. And part of that right. is because the Battle of Minas Tirith takes up like 70% of that movie. Wow. So it's like, instead of just like, you know, an hour of it, like in this one, mm-hmm. it's like almost the whole movie is, is that battle. So it's hard to make you feel kind of that stark contrast. And the fact that we've already seen it again, we, we've already seen it before but better in Helm's Deep. Right. You know, maybe if we hadn't seen Helm's Deep, then I would feel differently about the Battle of Minas Tirith. But I never, I never quite feel that, oh, we're not going to win type of thing that I feel in Helm's Deep. So let me, let me branch off from here. Uh, yeah. You've seen this movie a lot of times. How many, how many times would you estimate you've seen it? Um, between a dozen and probably like 18. Okay. I watch it once every year or two. So. And do you um, try to watch all of them in that time or just one? So I generally will. There have been times where I've just watched this one in a year. And then a lot of the time I'll watch all three. So I, I, I like to have the context around it, but sometimes I know the context, you know, I've seen them enough that I'm like, I'm going to watch my favorite one. Yeah. Type of thing. But most of the time I watch all three. Okay. So you, you've personally been influenced by this movie quite a bit and you are a writer, Mm -hmm. you write fantasy novels. How has this movie specifically kind of affected that in your life like how did you how did you decide that you were going to become a fantasy writer and and... um you know i think i i always liked to kind of create stories i grew up uh kind of obsessed with like arthurian legend so that was even before i saw lord of the rings Mm -hmm. where i was really into reading about king arthur and the knights of the round table and so I was already kind of headed towards fantasy to begin with, but I think this movie, it, it affected me. I don't know that it's affected my writing in the same way as it's affected my personal life. But when I saw it, you know, I was a, I was a preteen. And then as I continued to watch it, you know, I was an early teenager, late teenager. 
And there were all these things in this movie that uh, I felt like personally connected to. Um, if we are, if we're talking about Aragorn, who is my favorite character in any any fiction, well, I'll say any movie fiction because I do like Dalinar from uh, the Stormlight Archive quite a bit as well. But and I think movie Aragorn is better than book Aragorn, who is also cool. But like, we don't see him have as much of an arc as mm-hmm. we see in the movie here, but. Like as an as a preteen, early teenager, you know, trying to navigate n- navigate how to become a man, and like what a man should be. Aragorn felt like the ultimate role model to me. You know, he's strong, he's skilled, powerful leader, loyal, brave. Uh, he's incorruptible. Like he has all of these virtues that I wanted to have in my life. Um, but you also get, you get this paragon, right? Something to look up to in this movie. And -hmm. then you also get a lot of really, really relatable characters. Um, Eowyn is one of my favorite characters in the series. And you really feel kind of her struggle against expectation and trying to overcome that. You know, she says what she fears most is a cage. And, you know, I felt that way a lot growing up. Feeling like, okay, if I wanted to be a writer, this is not a secure path for me. Right. You know, this is not, as a man, it is my duty to provide. I am supposed to have a secure financial future. I should go into business or something. As a writer... It's a gamble. It's a risk. Who's maybe nobody is going to want to read my stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Eowyn fears the cage of that expectation. And, you know, we see in The Return of the King, she's over, she, she pushes through that and overcomes it. But, like, even in this movie, she's not fighting, but he, she's always there mentally of. I am more than this. I can be more than these rules or cultures or laws have assigned to me. And so I just think that like Eowyn has always been somebody that I can relate to, not only because she's in love with Aragorn like I am, but... (laughs) You know, like because because of these other reasons, um, Theoden King himself, like he's a man who has failed so many times. Uh, it, it's a lot his fault that Rohan is in the state that it's in at the beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. Even though we blame Grima Wormtongue, you know, obviously he was he was part of that. Saruman had a lot of control here, but. They didn't let those things in. Yeah. And he made those choices and those mistakes. And so when Theoden's looking out, you know, over his people, he's afraid. He, he wants to go hide in Helm's Deep instead of ride out to fight this army with the Riders of Rohan. 
like Gandalf suggests. You know, mm-hmm. or Aragorn. I can't remember who says right out right now. Um, but so he goes to Helm's Deep, and you see this moment. Like Aragorn says, you know, like ask Gondor for help, and he's saying like, where was Gondor? Where was Gondor when the Westfold fell? He's lashing out in anger, but he's not actually angry at Gondor. We don't have anything that indicates that he lit the beacons to try to get Gondor to come help him before this, before the return of the king. You know, he's angry at himself. He's really saying, like, where was I? I got myself and this man, my people into this mess. Yeah, he's, he's definitely a victim of his own pride. And he also, you know, kind of seems to feel the same way about reaching out to other free folk and, uh, you know, the elves and, and whatnot, where he's just like, it's going to take them too long. I, we don't have time. I would just be sacrificing an extra person. So I, I'm yeah, gonna... like it, it's going to show weakness and he's not willing a lot of the time to even see that weakness in himself. Um, and that's something that's also very relatable, right? Like you make these mistakes in your life and you beat yourself up or you deny them, you know, or some, some combination of them. Right. Yeah. Um, I think that like, we've all, we've all fallen victim to kind of that pride. Um, so like seeing, seeing these characters growing up, like, I think that they were, you know, very influential to me. Um, Sounds like you would base these characters as a guiding light or principle for the way that you wanted to to grow up and to uh, kind of not just grow up, like to be older, but to mature yourself with. Like, oh, I'm going to take like, these things in and try to incorporate them into my own life. Yeah, Give like you have, you have Aragorn, who is just a role model, because... Let's face it, he doesn't really make mistakes. You know? But then you have these other characters who... you, Even though I want to be like Aragorn, I don't relate to Aragorn the same way that I relate to these other characters who are more flawed. And yeah. I mean, Aragorn has, like, the ultimate... Like, he has the flaw of not wanting to be king because he's afraid of, like, his his ancestry and he's like, oh, you know, previous yeah. ancestors might gave up and I, I don't, I can't do it. But he is far less susceptible to his own weaknesses than say somebody like Theoden or yeah. even, even like somebody like his two traveling companions, Gimli and Legolas, who yeah. are a little bit more prideful or a little bit more, you know, like sensitive about things. And, and he yeah. doesn't really have that as much for sure. Yeah. So, yeah, I was able to have that kind of guiding light, like you said, and then I was able to also like learn a lot of life life lessons from these other characters as well, and try to say, okay, well, if I want to become like Aragorn, I have to do these things differently than you know Theoden did them, or or I have to do what Theoden eventually does in you know Return of the King which is eventually his ultimate sacrifice. <laughs> but uh, we're not talking about Return of the King. <laughs> In watching this movie every year or two, do you feel like every time that you rewatch it, that you are renewing that guiding light, kind of like a, I mean, not to be blasphemous, but like a kind of like a sacrament or something that you're like, you're going in, you're recentering yourself kind of around 
some of the principles and rewatching them for that reason? Yeah, I think I think so. And it's not necessarily like that's the reason why I'm doing it. Because I think I do actually get hit by different things harder on different viewings. You know, like sometimes I'll I'll be in there and then the scene the scene of Gandalf coming into Adoras and it's all dark. And you know, Grimo's like, I told you to take the wizard stuff. And mm-hmm. you know, all that stuff's happening. But Gandalf casts out Saruman from Theoden. And you know, like as a Christian, that is just so emblematic of like the principle of repentance and like being, being cleansed or being clean, having your sins atoned for in that moment. Um, and it doesn't mean you don't have to do the work, right? Because Satan then has to get his people out of the mess that he's gotten them into. Mm-hmm. But like, sometimes I'll be noticed by that or in the same scene, something else will hit me. Like just how much family means to me when Thaden comes out of his kind of de-aging and kind of the first person he sees is Eowyn standing there. And he mm-hmm. says, I know your face. It's like, and then I'm just in tears. Mm-hmm. And like, that's what hits me on that viewing. So I don't, it, I don't think that, you know, similar to how people read religious scriptures, like they're, they're right. not hoping for the exact same verse yeah, to yeah. hit them the same time. Yeah. But they're like, I know that if I go to this book of scripture that I will, I will feel something. And so, I mean, I would say that it sounds like you're describing the same thing that oh, you're oh, like, yeah. I'm re I'm partaking of this thing and I'm not necessarily looking for the exact same thing to hit me, but what else can I, can I get from this that I haven't before? Yeah, Totally. Yeah, I think that that's uh, admirable to uh, you know watch a movie over and over just to kind of feel like what are the what are some of the things that you can uh, make you a better person or something. You know, there's there's yeah. plenty of movies that that don't really make you a better person. I love John Wick. Oh yeah. <laughs> do I do I feel like I am ever like a better person? Yeah. Do you feel like, edified after watching John Wick? Probably like, not. I don't feel bad about watching it. I I, feel I enjoy entertained. it. Yeah. Yeah. Like I I feel like I got what I wanted from it, and you know, there's still there's still a lot of, uh, you know, storytelling skills and and uh, production design things that I think about. I'm like, wow, that that's pretty cool. I didn't see that last time, but I don't like I don't I don't. Exp- experience it on the same level as as you do with uh, with this movie right and like i think that's probably what elevates these movies above lots of other movies that i love is because it it feels like there is more meaning behind just the fact that i am wildly entertained by the battle of helm's deep you know like that is just so cool to watch but I also get to learn these lessons and there's allegory. And even though that's not even how Tolkien wanted it to be, you know, he didn't write it as an allegory. Mm-hmm. He just happened to be a very Catholic man. <laughs> but I think that the fact that 
it has much deeper meaning to me when I watch it. Like Guardians of the Galaxy is in my top five movies. Mm-hmm. But I don't. It's not on the same level. There's mm-hmm. no deeper meaning in Guardians of the Galaxy for me. It's just this is hilarious and it's just a fun ride from the beginning to the end. I love all these characters. I think the villain's cool. You know, like that's all it is. It's very surface level. I think that is kind of what sets this apart from some of the other movies that I like. And like you said, like John Wick or like any action film, you know? Absolutely. So you have, I I assume you have watched the Hobbit series as well. Yeah. Have you watched all of the old cartoons as well? Uh, yeah, actually, I I grew up watching the Hobbit cartoon. Yeah, I mean, same. I, yeah, I watched the Hobbit and I watched the Return of the King. I had like, yeah. I really didn't know what the Return of the King was about. Yeah, like, yeah, it was not. It was much harder to grasp as a kid. Um, but there was also the Lord of the Rings one that was like, uh-huh. like the first two books or whatever. I don't know what it encompassed because, like, I hated yeah. the art style of it. Yeah, it was like inspired by like Frank Frazetta and like some other stuff, and it was like rotoscoped art, and I I just hated it. I yeah did not care for whatever it was, and so I I don't I don't know what it in exactly entailed, but I am kind of curious now as an adult. Like, I. I haven't watched these movies that, that we're, we've just been talking about in over a decade, possibly yeah. 15 years. You know, I've seen clips and stuff like that, but yeah, sitting down and watching it half my life ago, like I, I haven't seen this. So I would say this has been opening for me that I'm like, Oh, I would be, I would be curious about seeing the old versions yeah. and like rewatching them for, for that. Cause I, I loved the music in the oh, Hobbit yeah. and, so good. and whatnot. Yeah. Like those, those had such good ones, like the Frodo of the nine fingers. And I'm just like, yeah. that's such a, like a terrible song nowadays where I'm like, yeah, let's sing about your disability. We would always just grow up singing like the ring of doom. Yeah. The mountain of fire. <laughs> it's just like, Oh, like, as a kid, I didn't even know what that meant when I was singing that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, this is way before the movies even came out. I'm just like, these are my siblings are singing this. I saw this once. You know, I, I saw The Hobbit a lot more than I saw The Lord of the Rings um, mm-hmm. animations. But, uh, yeah, like, just the, like the scene specifically, like, Riddles in the Dark scene with, with Bilbo and, and, and Gollum. Like, that one always just, like, sticks in my brain from The Hobbit. Yeah. Uh, I would say that the uh, the song that stuck in my head the most of all of them that I would ever hear is the where there's a whip there's a where there yeah yeah, yeah. and yeah. like that one's just such a funny one but I and so it's kind of interesting to me to like try to like because I watched those first before I ever watched these Lord of the Rings films yeah and it was like re reformatting my brain to be like no this is what a hobbit looks like now instead yeah like uh but i do i like that more kind of not yeah yeah definitely (laughs) i think that i mean the hobbit movie like peter jackson's hobbit movies are not as good as these so uh for me 
that animated Hobbit is the canon Hobbit, but <laughs> yeah, and, and I've you never know. even seen the the new Hobbit films. Like, yeah. there was there was just enough of other people saying that it really wasn't yeah. good enough that I was like, you know what, I'm just gonna like that could just yeah. be one of my things that I just never have to see. Like, I, yeah, there's things I definitely enjoy about them. Um, I think smog was just done really, really well. That's mostly it. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of extra stuff that is very unnecessary, I think. Right. Um, I remember thinking like when they announced the first, like the Hobbit movie. So the original announcement for it was like Guillermo del Toro was supposed to direct it. And like, I didn't really know anything about him at the time, but I, I was like, oh man, that. why not Peter Jackson? You know, like. Yeah. And then like now I'm like, oh man, that would have been sick. Like that would have been just so cool to see the like the way like not cartoony, but like kind of the eccentric way. Like I'm just imagining like the scene with the trolls around the campfire, but done Guillermo del Toro style. Yeah, he has like such a distinct way of creating his monsters that I'm like, wow, I would really love to see those. Yeah, it would have been awesome. Um, and so like when Peter Jackson got announced for it, I was like really excited because obviously I love the Lord of the Rings films. But he definitely, you know, when it was announced that it was going to be a trilogy of Hobbit films, then I was like, mm, wait, what? Yeah. Like there's one book and it's a smaller book than any of the Lord of the Rings entries. But well, I don't know. I don't think that there's anything wrong with having a movie split out across no. two or I three. Think, I think two would have been fine, to be honest, for The Hobbit. Uh, yeah. Just because there's not I don't there wasn't enough content to fill three movies and they just made up a bunch of content. Yeah. Which can't was just like. And, I feel like the first time that I noticed that like movies didn't contain enough of the context of the books was like when I watched Harry Potter three or four, you know, like one of those ones where I was like, I'm like missing like a chunk of this thing. And I'm I feel like I'm missing out that they like don't have this stuff that I liked in it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So like I was actually on board for two movies. I was like very apparently rightly suspicious of three and mm -hmm. uh unfortunately you know even though i still enjoyed it and like i think martin freeman as bilbo is so good obviously like ian mckellen as gandalf you know he's returning for that role uh andy circus and we can talk about him in two towers like Go this is it. really where his motion capture technology came from you know, this is where it took off. And now he's in everything using it everywhere, you know? But, like, this is... So, like, when, whenever I'm thinking about, oh, yeah, you know, Fellowship and Return of the King were more critically acclaimed, it's like, cool. But, like, on a technical standpoint, like, Gollum, Smeagol himself in this movie, like, that's incredible crap. And that stuff still holds up, like... Gollum doesn't look weird. Um, there's like scenes with the ends and stuff in this movie where like the CGI and everything doesn't really hold up. And mm -hmm. you're like, oh, wait, this is an old movie. This is 20 years old. But yeah. like nothing with Andy Serkis and Gollum looks that way to me. 
Um, yeah, I think that he's got a real, you know, maybe the uh, the shadows cast on him and, you know, various things like you recognize that it's like, okay, Gollum doesn't look like Way of the Water Avatar characters do, sure, but yeah. <laughs> he is still very animated and he doesn't have kind of this looseness. Um, you know, I was, I was looking through the Oscars for t- 2003 and it was like up against uh, like Spider-Man for CGI. And it's like, oh, yeah. you look at... You look at the CGI of Spider-Man, the original Sam Raimi one, and it like there's parts where it's very obvious that it goes from Tobey Maguire into CGI Tobey Maguire, you know, like Spider-Man. Yeah, because it's like the CGI had this like kind of fluidity that like almost is more like water in some ways than it is like or like a jello than a like a human person. Yeah. And Gollum has that like human like you you feel like everything is connecting properly and he's not moving around wildly. Yeah. And then just like his characterization too, like it's iconic. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. people will do Gollum impressions forever based off of this movie. Absolutely. Um and then also from that that point of like oh, I appreciate certain things in this movie more being older. Like even though the Hobbit parts still aren't my favorite parts, like that, that inner struggle between Gollum and Schmeagol, like I think that that is infinitely relatable to pretty much anybody. You know, we're always fighting against ourselves, whether it's something more serious like addiction or something, you know, less serious. Like, man, I can't get out of bed in the morning. Like, what's wrong with me? You have that. Or even just like some of the dialogue that you have, like, oh, I'm trying to ask out this girl. And like, you you know, your insecurities come and like, yeah, tell you, yo, you're not, you're not. Oh, she'll, she'll never go out with you. Right. And you've got that like kind of conversation. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's like that scene is, that scene's iconic for sure. Um, where he's having that combo with himself, like in the middle of the night. I think it's especially funny the way that they kind of do the camera flipping back and forth. Oh, yeah. So that, yeah, like there's good So it looks like a conversation. Too. Yeah. And it, I would say there isn't enough comedy in the first movie. Yeah. But we get like Gimli and Legolas counting, you know, like don't tell the elf. We get the, yeah. the, Schme- the Smeagol, all, most of the Smeagol Sam stuff, like stupid fat hobbits is, you know, like. Yeah. You know, there's there's a lot of comedy in this one that kind of breaks up how much darker the movie actually also is because of, you know, the despair of Helm's deep and the sacking of real hand and everything. Yeah. And I think you need some of that like comedy to yeah. bring it out of like the despair that that movie kind of produces, yeah. especially in the extended edition, like over three and a half hours. Yeah. And I, I would say Gimli is probably the funniest well, Gimli's character. So good, dude. Um, yeah. The extended edition scene where he's talking to uh, Aowen about oh. when they're when they're going to Helm's Deep, talking about, talking, uh, dwarfs, about yeah. female female dwarfs, and yeah. then and then Aowen freaking cooks that stew, oh. like so good that stew, <laughs> and yeah, it looks so disgusting. Yeah, and like, Aragorn's about to pour it out, and then he, she turns around she and turns he, like around. spills it on himself. It's so funny, dude. <laughs> yeah, I, I did enjoy that part. That was that was pretty good. Yeah, uh, I just remember like being like on my mission and uh, actually doing that. Like, there's something about cooked spinach, like spinach that's just been like 
cooked to where it's like soggy and slimy that I can't uh-huh. handle the texture of. Okay. And like, I didn't feel like I could, I so saw I was eating at this person's house. They were feeding us. Right. Yeah. And I didn't feel like I could like eat it, but I didn't feel like I could not eat it either. Oh. So while she got up and went to the bathroom, I turned around and I threw the spinach into the garbage can. Uh-huh. But the lady's daughter saw it and she told her when she came back from the bathroom. So oh, I was like, no. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know, that's that's not as bad as, you know, some one time I heard somebody who uh, they were trying to get rid of some menudo. You know what uh-huh. that is? It's like a yeah. Spanish soup and has like tripe in it and some other things. And somebody like they left the room and the, the guy just like threw it out the window. Oh. And then like he didn't really know like where that was like going or whatnot. And so then like as they go out at the end of their visit with, with this family, Menudo is like all over their car. Oh man. And, like he threw it on there. And so like the person saw them like saw their yeah. car and was like, Oh, what's why is what's there all over your car? car? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's so bad. Yeah, that that one's real. And then you gotta clean that off. So it's not yeah. just a it's not even just uh, like the, the pride thing of being yeah. like, yeah, I gotta be a little honest about this right now. But yeah. All right. So I I wanna do I guess it's not really a game, but just to kind of go over a couple of the uh the nominations that this had, had received and uh, also just kind of go over like if you think that maybe it it deserved to win or just to be a nomination. So okay. back then they only had five best picture. Uh, so no, nominations. Yeah. Nominees. Yeah. Um, so this one was one of them. It was among Chicago. That's the musical gangs yep. of New York by, uh, you know, that's uh, Martin Scorsese, the hours and the pianist. And it lost to Chicago. So which uh, which category was this? This was for best picture. Oh, okay. So Chicago beat out Two Towers for this. Yeah. Okay. Have you seen Chicago? I have. Yeah. Okay. Ren- Chicago's gonna. Yeah, yeah. This one's gonna come up multiple times. So what do you think that makes about? Sense. I feel like what, usually what, when a when a movie wins best picture, it kind of sweeps a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oftentimes it, it seems like it'll have like a bunch of things and like it, it was, you know, up for a bunch of stuff. Um, I mean, obviously I think that this movie should have won best picture like over Chicago. Yeah. It makes it hard. Like I've heard amazing things about the pianist. I've heard, you know, pretty good things yeah. about gangs of New York and the hours. Yeah. I haven't but... seen any of the other ones. I've seen Chicago though. Yeah. So it's like and between it, this it was and Chicago... a good movie, I guess, but like, you know, that's also a stage adaptation. Yeah. Like, so it's not like it was, it went off of being an adaptation or like, I don't know. Well, like the, I feel like this is a great, this is a larger, this is a larger achievement than that movie, you know? Uh, Let's see. It was uh, surprisingly not nominated for cinematography. Let's see where that one was. For uh, cinematography, instead, there was Chicago, Road to Perdition, Far From Heaven, Gangs of New York, and The Pianist. And okay. Road to Perdition won. But, yeah, I, I mean, I've seen Chicago. and that, Yeah, that's it. That was it. That and and like, I, should, I saw Chicago 
over a decade ago. So like, I don't even really remember right. like what, what that one right. was. Yeah. It's been, uh, it's been about that long for me too. So not nominated for costume design instead. That was Chicago that won. And then there was okay. Frida gangs of New York, the hours and the pianist. So a bunch that we're seeing again. And just, you know uh, what? Chicago winning for like, probably had good costumes. Yeah, it had pretty good costume. I don't know how you don't even nominate this, though, when you're actually forging real suits of armor for it. You know? like Very beautiful suits of armor. Yeah. Like, I don't don't get that, but sure. If it doesn't win. Because the other thing, like, I think a lot of things with the costume award, like, Chicago's a period piece, right? So then you go back into Mm -hmm. kind of that period, but you also make it burlesque-y. So, yeah. like, there's a lot of cool, interesting things that I think you could do with that. So, I'm fine with that, I guess. Yeah. Uh, now, film editing, it was nominated. It was up with Chicago, Gangs of New York, The Hours, Lord of the Rings, Two Towers, and The Pianist. Uh-huh. And Chicago won that. And I do remember there being, like, some pretty good editing, like, kind of switching back between, like, the two styles. Because it's, like, going between the real world and the burlesque yeah. world. Yeah. And like having moments of that aside from anything else. Like I don't, I don't remember some of the other aspects, but like we, we've talked about Lord of the Rings, like some of the edits in that really make some of the, the action way more dynamic or even like more comedic with like the Smeagol going back and forth, kind of cutting between them. Yeah. I think, I think you could also argue in two towers though, that um, some of the way that the movie was cut also, cuts down on momentum. Oh yeah. Like yeah. when you're in the Helm's Deep battle, but then you switch back to Mary and Pippin or you switch back to Frodo and Sam. True. And depending on the time, like that could really kind of like slow your roll a little bit. So there's probably an argument there. Yeah. Like I love the Mary Pippin stuff and the ants. I, I have a really like big soft spot for them. So mm-hmm. I always loved that. Even though, like, I was always like, oh, Frodo and Sam again. <laughs> As a kid. <laughs> um, watching the extended version, I definitely felt like the scene that I would have wanted taken out or shortened would have just been the Marion Pippin scene with, with the really long, drawn-out section the, with, with the Ents. Uh, and Moot. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was probably better done. In, uh... Well, wait a second. Which are you talking about the like the gathering events or yeah the gathering events? It's just a little bit yeah. There's a couple of scenes in there opinion. that they add in for the extended edition, like um, Treebeard's like hiking with them through the mountain, and he has this whole poem that comes straight from the book mm-hmm. that he you know says. And then there's the other part where they're like in Treebeard's house and they drink the water and start growing, which is pretty funny. Mm-hmm. Um, so like those are both extended edition ones, and they're probably not necessary but yeah that's something that yeah you probably could have edited that out and they did for the theatrical so yeah uh looks like it it was up for sound editing it was just lord of the rings two towers minority report and road to perdition ah i love minority report <laughs> you know and there was there's a certain aspect of the lighting that Lord of the Rings, Two Towers, and Minority Report like really have in common. They just like have these like really bright, bright lights that just yeah. like kind of like 
I don't know, wash it out. They like kind of, I went back and rewatched minority report last year and I, I, I don't feel like it holds up anymore visually oh, just no. because of like yeah. some of those aspects. I'm like, Oh man, I cannot stand watching some of these scenes and Lord of the Rings, two towers. It's better lit, but it, um, there are like scenes like kind of, uh, I know that this isn't in the theatrical version. This is uh, just the Faramir and Boromir scene. Oh, yeah. And I feel like that's way too bright. Yeah, that and one I, definitely feels like very studio. Yeah, just it's a very white kind of screen. I know it's kind of grayish, whitish, but like it just yeah. stands out way more than, than the rest of it. And I know it's like a flashback, but they don't really do that for some of the other flashbacks as much. Yeah. So just wasn't just wasn't a fan of some of those aspects. Um, it did win visual effects as well. So these were the two okay. things that it won. So, so that makes sense. Visual we got, we got Andy circus and everything in there. Yeah. But do you here? here's what it was up against Spider-Man and star Wars episode two attack of the clones. <laughs> nice. It was a good year for, yeah. for visual effects and movies. Yeah. I mean, that's the worst star Wars movie. Well, I don't know. Rise of Skywalker exists. But in terms of visual yeah, effects. Yeah, in terms of visual effects, it was awesome. It was it was pretty like action packed. Yeah. I mean you yeah, had like for sure. Yeah, weird monsters and the Genosians and um yeah. just lightsabers in general. But giant clone war battles. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was, was pretty sweet. It was pretty dark. The, the action is really cool in that movie. Yeah, so I'm Yeah. I, I um, was kind of surprised. What was it against in uh, sound editing? Uh in sound editing it was Minority Report and Road to Perdition. Okay. Cool. I've never seen Road to Perdition, but I think that that's a Tom Hanks movie. Yeah, I've never. I don't think I've heard of it even. I think I was scared of of watching that one as a kid because it was like oh, Perdition, like that's that was like, um, like Satan. He was a son of Perdition, and so was Cain, and blah blah blah. And like, yeah, this must be a bad movie. And I don't. Right. Know. I, I yeah. I'm, I have no basis for for yeah, really knowing what it is. For sure, because I, I I sincerely doubt that that's what it's about. I'm sure it's no. about some guy who makes some bad choices and like you're maybe maybe some revenge, maybe something else, and it's just like yeah, yeah. He's, but is it is it that bad? No, no. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> Um, yeah, so the uh, and the last one that was just surprising was that it wasn't up for adapted screenplay. Instead, there was The Pianist, About a Boy, um, Adaptation, Chicago, and The Hours. Yeah, that's pretty silly to not have it in there. Yeah, so <laughs> I, I've seen Adaptation. That's a great one. You should definitely see that one. And it, that one even got uh, Nick Cage a nomination for best actor or like best supporting actor or something like that. Nice. So it's, it's a pretty good one. Um, but yeah, I've, I've heard good things about pretty much all of these, the pianist about a boy adaptation, Chicago, the hours. So, yeah. uh, maybe, maybe it was just that they were just, Hey, there's a lot of good stuff that were adaptations this year, you know? Yeah. Like it just seems like, yeah, I, I don't see a, a bad one on the list. Well, they probably so I, like, like, what did, did fellowship win? Screen like adaptation or do we know? Um, I don't have it pulled up right now, but I can I can certainly pull it up right here. Because I'm wondering if that would just be like, oh yeah, we gave it to we gave it to them last year. 
but uh, it looks like it was a nominee for best writing screenplay based on material. So, um, yeah, it was nominated, but it didn't win for yeah, okay for uh, like adapted screenplay. Okay. They must have changed that awards title because the way that it's written, best writing screenplay based on material previously produced or published. Yeah. And like going going through some of these, like I've noticed, like they have sound and sound editing, but now we have sound editing and sound mixing. Yeah, stuff like that. So interesting, okay. kind of a combination there. Yeah. Um, okay. Last last stuff in here. So is this movie your number one movie? Absolutely. And then I assume the other two are also like in your top. Three yeah, like my like yeah, that? my I honestly if I'm if I'm listing out my top movies, I count all three of these as one movie, but then if oh, I okay. have to break them up, then I put this one at number 1. And then probably Fellowship and then Return of the King. Okay. But sometimes Return say, of the King and Fellowship kind of switch, but Gotcha. Uh, and then you also mentioned that you would you would put a Yeah, like Guardians, Guardians is in, in the there. Galaxy. Uh The Last Samurai is in my top 5. Um, I'm not sure what else is in there, but uh, probably like the Dark Knight. Yeah, that's a, um, that's a good one. Yeah, it, you know, like I hear uh, every every year they try to do something where they talk with people at the Sundance Film Festival, and the people talk about like their favorite movies, and it's like three movies that you've never heard of, or like two that you've heard of, but you're like those are like one-time watches because it's not right. like an enjoyable experience. It's like, exactly. it's a very heartfelt experience, but I don't want to go and watch that again. Right. It's like a, yeah, like silence. Like, do I want to watch yeah. silence every week? No, no. Yeah. <laughs> um, so like, I kind of go back and forth on that discussion myself of like, should, should your yeah. favorite movie be like one that you always want to watch? Yeah. One that I think was the best that, thing like, that I've seen or yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's why I like, it's hard for me to say like, those are the ones that have really stayed in my, so I guess I could say my top, that's my top five. If I just count all, all three of yeah. these movies as, you know, yeah. one entry and then like last Samurai and guardians of the galaxy. But yeah, those are the ones that have really stayed in there. Cause like I've had other movies that hop up and then I feel differently about them later. Like inception was my favorite movie for a little bit, came back down, you know, like this is this is consistently like up there. Yeah, I I don't trust anybody who has a movie opinion. Like if if they say that this is the best movie and it's been less than five years since yeah. that movie came out, I'm yeah. like, you got to give it a little bit more time. See if it like really is. Yeah. Like the I have like old Facebook posts. Like Interstellar came out, and I have like a Facebook post about it. It's like this is the greatest movie of all time. Right. And now I'm like. It's kind of not even like I don't I don't watch that movie. <laughs> you probably don't even think about it on a daily basis yeah. or yeah, exactly. monthly basis even. Like I yeah. I realize that like I've gone months without even thinking about certain movies and I'm like, "Oh, but I used to think that that one was super big and important." And yeah. I, I do feel like the movies that I want to recommend to others more often, that's like what I really kind of consider almost like my my favorite movies. It's like yeah. if I'm if I'm going out and like evangelizing for a movie, it's like that's that's really me like feeling like yeah, this is so good. So you know, sure. I put Alien, I put The Thing on my list. Oh, I, dude, The Thing is so good. 
yeah so like i i have some of those that i'm just like i always want to recommend those to people and like i'm sad that some people don't like horror so that they like won't yeah. watch those but then I, I you know i'll put like a couple musicals on there and the thing is probably my number one horror movie yeah i mean it, it's, it's gotta be so good gotta be one of those two and it's like it's always switching deck and forth for me it's like yeah uh, the thing and alien i just think that they're both so good yeah um all right well i i think that that's uh, about it is there any any last things that you kind of wanted to uh oh well let, let's talk about one other thing like okay this, these movies they've been out for 20 years they have clearly been a huge influence for for other films and uh, TV shows and things like that. Uh, obviously, probably like Game of Thrones seems to kind of come to mind. Yeah. Um, do you feel like there's anything else that like that these movies have particularly influenced in the the zeitgeist or like cultural zeitgeist uh, or anything like that? Um, you know, I honestly feel like any any show or movie that has a large scale battle in it is chasing this movie. Like, I feel like they're trying to compare themselves to this movie. And that's why you end up with stuff like in game of Thrones, like the battle of Winterfell. They're like, Oh yeah, we got to make it dark. We got to, you know, have it be bleak and stuff and they don't pull it off. But (laughs) yeah, you know, but like the influence is there. Um, I don't think that you can make a medieval fantasy type film without it like being in like influenced either directly or indirectly. I think before these movies fantasy in, in cinema, it was a a joke. It's, it was more like a fast, a fast and furious thing, you know, where it's like, Oh yeah, that was fun. Like we got Highlander and, you know, like just, uh willow which is like super campy and just funny and it's like everything has to be kind of a joke 80s and 90s were definitely a little bit more of that kind of jokey campy kind of vibe but like i mean we did have like big epics i sure like uh jason the argonauts like spartacus uh, yeah i I guess some of those those are are based more in history and mythology which i feel like is different almost and like I feel like people are more willing to engage with that. Yeah. But I think that this movie really broke kind of that stigma and brought kind of high epic fantasy into the public awareness and the public like heart to the point where if this movie hadn't been made in the way that it was made and hadn't been as successful as it was, we wouldn't have had Game of Thrones. No, like, I I can't imagine us having Game of Thrones without this. Sure, no, Game like, of Thrones wanted to push other things past it. Like, there's yeah. no blood in in this, really. Right. Like, yeah, it's PG thirteen. Yeah, Game of Thrones really wanted to push that. Like, they they wanted to have uh, you know some some other aspects, and and I think that that's great. But you don't have some of the epicness of the the fights without yeah. this first kind of setting a precedent of like, well, this is how cool this fight was. Can you yep. beat that? Can you do that in a TV show? Yeah. You know, kind of a thing. Yep. Um, are there other like big high fantasy things that have come out since, since it, that's like big scale battles that are. Um, 
I'm trying to think. You know, pro- like I haven't seen 300, but I guess maybe. Yeah, I'm like sure. That, yeah, 300 probably. Uh, I mean, the way 300 was filmed is like really kind of weird to me, like visually. But yeah, I'm just not a fan of Zack Snyder's visuals that he like his. Yeah, he he always tries to go for the exact same thing. Like everything's always like right before the darkest time at night. It's like, yeah, right at sunset. It's kind of like casting this orangey, weird dreamlike glow across the sky. It's yeah, not something I enjoy. Yeah, um, there was, but I mean, you got that same kind of emotional arc in three hundred of like three, like three hundred versus ten thousand. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. or in like this case, small 10 scale, like, yeah, small scale battle, or like, I mean, uh, large scale battle with like, yeah, it's like stacked. We don't have, you. yeah, we don't have any hope in this fight. You know, but we're gonna fight anyway, type of thing. Um, but it still feels differently there because they're Spartans. <laughs> they're all freaking superheroes. So, right. As opposed to like the old toothless dude who can't hold his bow string back. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like there have like memes were, were a really big thing and they used to use formats, you know, you had to use the, one does not simply yeah, kind yeah. of format or something, you know, like memes back yeah. 10 years ago were like maybe even, yeah, about 10 years ago. Uh, they were heavily like influenced with like a lot yeah. of Lord of the Rings formats. But there's this aside, one that I always yeah. remember seeing on like my brother's desktop. And it was it's the image after in, you know, as Gilliath at the end of the movie when like, Frodo is wanting to put the ring on and the Nazgul are like calling to him and he like walks up those stairs and then I think Sam like pulls him down right okay Frodo pulls out his sword and he's like pointing it at Sam but there's this shot where like Frodo is holding the blade kind of like right by his cheek and so the meme is a screenshot of that with the text Frodo shaves like a man (laughs) (laughs) I just like I'm like that's not even that funny (laughs) <laughs> but I can't for, like I can't get it out of my brain. Yeah. Every time I see that. So um yeah, I think that uh like I think in well, part one does two not the memes is probably the best. Yeah. In part two the memes, uh, like obviously to be a, a good memeable movie, it has to be good and have like a lot of quotes and things like that. Yeah. There's you know, people don't meme Morbius. No, like, it just was not a good movie. Like, People... the t- like Mor- Morbius itself was the meme. Right. It was just like, it was not, it was, there was nothing enjoyable about the script or whatever that people were wanting to like kind yeah. of bring up over and over. But Lord of the Rings kind of was different. Like it, I think that that's kind of helped it stay in the, in the cultural zeitgeist all at, at all times. Where it's like people are always bringing it up oh, through absolutely. memes, through it's through not quotes, just like Gollum impressions, um, like Theoden. Where was Gondor when the Westfold fell? Like that, like that meme. Like it's just always there. Or like the memes that you get about Aragorn or Viggo Mortensen breaking his toe and he kicks the helmet. You know, you get like the guy, like that that picture of like the dude like yelling into a girl's ear at a party. Yes, it's like, did you know in this scene? <laughs> he broke his toe. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I've been that dude. 
Yeah, I mean, like uh, every guy wants to have like a kind of cool piece of trivia that they can like share. Um, yeah. But it's, I mean, it doesn't feel like there has been necessarily so much of like how every movie for a long, like even currently, you'll still see like movies that clearly do the Matrix, like going backwards, dodging bullets, you know, bullet time, whatever. Oh yeah. Like there's there's not quite something like that about about this movie that like gets parodied over and over. It doesn't have a line that's like, say hello to my little friend that like will get used over and over. In other like media, yeah. Yeah. So it doesn't really get parodied so much, but like I I do feel like memes kind of really played into to the I don't know, just keeping it keeping it alive and around for, for so long. Yeah, I think that's that's actually kind of an interesting commentary on Lord of the Rings and its its kind of status in I think fantasy in general and and media and fiction in general because the the funniest thing about being a fantasy author is every fantasy author and I'm speaking for myself really but like every fantasy author wants to write Lord of the Rings but will write anything except for Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Like, we try so hard to separate ourselves off from Lord of the Rings, even though that's really what we love. That's what got us into it. Like, my book that I've written, nothing like Lord of the Rings. Like, there's not, there's not, there's not a comp in there. Um, but that's because it's like, it's so ever present. It's so big that for a long time you couldn't write fantasy without parodying Lord of the Rings. The entire Shannara series is just a giant Lord of the Rings parody. Like oh, wow. it's just like you for for a long time after Lord of the Rings, elves, dwarves, like Dungeons and Dragons itself is a parody of Lord of the Rings. Yeah. So if you want to try to have your own identity as a fantasy author, even though that's what you love, you have to not write that. Right. You know, you have to make up something else. You're trying to be so original that it's like, okay, but you might end up being so original that you're not taking the things from Lord of the Rings that make it so great. Right. Right. It doesn't have enough of of an identity closer. Like, it doesn't yeah. have enough of the aspects that are close enough that people are like, but this is what I like about it. And that's why I wanted to, to read something. Yeah, exactly. That's, yeah. That's good. So when you well, ask that question about like, did it influence my writing? It's like, yeah, kind of, but in the opposite uh-huh. way. Right. It's like, hey, I mean, it, that's still an influence. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And it's not because I didn't want, it's not because I don't think it's good. Right. It's because everybody thought it was so good for so long. It's like when Twilight came out and everybody was writing fan, like vampire novels. Right. Yeah. You know, and that was really popular for a while and then everybody got sick of it. That's what it's like, except for on a larger and longer scale. Like it's a hun- it's almost a hundred years old now. Well, it's like 70 or something, but yeah, it's, I mean, it, it's surprising that it's not uh, older, but yeah. yeah it's I, a, I it's guess 50, that, 54. That yeah. 54. Okay. when it was published so that's pretty interesting all right well i think that 
that's a that's about it for our podcast today. So thank thank you once again for for joining me here on on the podcast, Russell. Yeah, man. Um, is there anything that you want to? Uh, I don't know, to a plug of yours. You want people to come look at your stuff anywhere? I don't have anywhere where I have my stuff up right now, but uh, just keep your eyes out, eyes and ears out for um, in the future. If you just happen to be like in a bookstore and you see a book called Lies of the Poet God, you know, that's me. So uh, I'd say just keep an eye out for that. Um, also, there's this podcast called um, Movies That Move Us. Hey, I've heard that's pretty good. That that well, I I like that one quite a yeah. bit. Yeah, you know, I'm a frequent guest on there. Yeah, nice. <laughs> All um, right. Man. Well, thanks everybody for listening to another episode. And go out and watch a movie, as we always say. And have a great rest of your day. Thanks. Bye. <laughs>